You're listening to Metamorphosis, a podcast designed to help medical students navigate their medical careers. Today's episode is another installment of our resident series, where we're interviewing residents with the aim of learning about their path to residency and the specialty they ended up pursuing. My name is Adam. And my name is Ali. And on today's episode, we will be chatting with Dr. Poria Rezapur, a UBC Medicine graduate who is now working on the other side of the country as a second-year resident in the Rural Family Medicine Program out of Dalhousie University in Nova Scotia. Welcome to the show, Poria, and thank you for joining us. Thanks so much. Glad to be here. So as you know, the Metamorphosis podcast is designed to help medical students navigate the process of choosing a specialty for residency. So if we could take you back to the beginning of medical school, uh, did you know what you wanted to pursue or was that all up in the air for you? Yeah, it was pretty up in the air. Um, I hadn't had much exposure firsthand to, to the life of a doctor before medical school, let alone the different kinds of doctors that there are. So I was pretty uh, green. Um, I like the idea of like delivering babies because it's kind of like not taking care of sick people as much um, before going into medical school. But over time, um, with increased exposure, I started to like everything really. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And so I guess, were there any experiences during medical school that started to I guess, awaken some of those interests and and help you narrow down what you were interested in? Yeah, probably the the most memorable one is is during my uh, clerkship year. I uh, spent a month in uh, Inuvik in the Northwest Territories uh, where there's a handful of family doctors, some of whom kind of are permanent residents there and many of whom uh, locum back and forth. And uh, they were running quite the show there, and I'm sure they are still. Um, they had uh, their regular clinics that they ran, and then they had uh, operating rooms that they served as anesthesia, or uh, and and they did basic uh, surgical procedures for. Um, they ran the emergency department. They did uh, deliveries there, so it was the the, the full. What do they call it? The full. Uh, practice I guess um, is, is quite exciting um, and pretty inspiring to see um, these people kind of take care of most of the needs of, of an entire community yeah and so for those who are listening to this episode Adam and I had to look up where Inuvik was because we didn't yes. know where it was <laughs> um, and it's about 3,500 kilometers north of here it's pretty much I guess as north as you can really go in the Northwest Territories um, and so what was, what was it like to, to have to, so how many weeks were you up there for? First of all, it was four weeks, four weeks. And so yeah. I guess as a UBC medical student who was in VFMP, um, what was that like going to somewhere that was so different from where you currently live or currently <laughs> lived? Yeah. Well, you kind of anticipate that it'd be a rural experience as they call it. This, this was, uh, quite magical to be honest um Inuvik is is just a short drive away from the arctic ocean uh and the time i was there was in march so it was the sun uh would set uh unlike other times of the year where it was either never set or it'd be always nighttime um but then i went up with one of my colleagues uh we were the two medical students there and uh they gave us uh, place that we would live and then uh, I'd walk to the small hospital every day it was cold it was minus 40 degrees every day oh my gosh Jesus <laughs> I remember one night I was walking to work for a delivery and uh, or to the hospital for delivery and there was like an arctic fox that was just running literally right next to me it was amazing no way and then uh, yeah you could see the the um, what do you call it the aurora borealis um at uh on at some nights the northern lights the northern lights mm-hmm. um oh we went dog sledding we went dog oh, sledding really? um yeah that was quite spectacular and then uh last but definitely not least uh we took a trip to one of the most northern villages in, in canada called tuk tuk 
and at that time there was no highway built so the actual way to get to Taktiaktak was uh, by means of a, an ice road so the river would freeze over and the cars would use it as a no highway way. to get to the wow that's the, unreal yeah and this is march too for reference right it was march yeah we were uh, a bit scared that it might uh, melt in some corners but <laughs> we made it yeah it's quite an amazing thing if people have the opportunity i highly recommend it that honestly sounds unbelievable yeah it um, sounds really cool it sounds just so different than than i guess you know the day-to-day first year things that we just finished doing um but that'd be so exciting to go go somewhere like that right yeah i mean also you're doing all the medical student stuff so right um there was actually an interesting experience i had i wrote it in my letters for for uh for carms um it was a patient who actually walked in uh with chest pain um, who actually passed away in the emergency department a couple hours later from a massive oh, wow. heart attack. Um, and it was quite an amazing experience for me because uh, it was the first time I'd seen someone uh, pass away uh, under medical care when I was there. And um, this was a person of uh, who was an Inuit person and uh, had many extended family who were close to them. And so we had to deliver the news to a, a room full of like 20 people. Uh, wow. So it was quite a dramatic experience as well, too. So, yeah, there was that experience and then delivering babies and the clinic is it it really amazing. Um, it really left an impact, like a, a mark on me in terms of the, the both the just the amazing kind of out of medical life you can have there. Uh, yeah. in, in a rural community, uh, which many of which have uh, really cool things that you can do, um, but then also the impact you can have uh, by serving those communities, which are often so underserved. Right. Did you find that there were any, you know, like kind of consistent characteristics or personality traits of the people, the medical professionals that were working in areas like this? Mm-hmm. That's a good question. I think... I mean, my own exposure to, to rural family medicine is limited, right? So I've done a, a, f- a few rural rotations in uh, medical school, and then I have a rural family medicine residency that I'm finishing now. And I've only been exposed to the Canadian settings. And, um, but from what I see, one of the, the more admirable features of, of physicians who work in the rural settings is their uh, respect and appreciation and 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 curiosity for the Aboriginal people of Canada. Um, you, if anyone uh, goes up to Inuvik, at least when I was there, one of the kind of uh, signs that someone has worked there or works there is, is on their uh, stethoscope. They have a, a little thing that's made by some of the artists there, and you see it on all of them. And it's kind of cool. a symbol of the kind of respect that they, that they have for the Aboriginal people of Canada. I think that's that's one of the, the things that stands out for me. Mm-hmm. Did you find when you came back from Inuvik, so you would have gone in March, which would have been more than halfway through your clerkship, right? Did you find that you were kind of a different clerk after that experience? Did that change, you know, coming back to Vancouver and take some of those experiences to change the way you were, you know, practicing? Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, like I was a pretty crappy uh, clerk, <laughs> to be honest, <laughs> like I, I feel like I was, I was definitely like in the bottom half of my year. I was always amazed at some of how how um, knowledgeable many of my classmates were, um, and I think that kind of struggle for me really drove me to to working much harder um, throughout the latter uh, year of residency latter year of medical school and uh, throughout residency to kind of um, push myself forward. And I think it was a really useful um, challenge that I had because, um, you know, medicine is is a field that is so vast, um, especially for people who are in more generalist fields where there's so much to know that you really can't learn during uh, a two-year residency program. 
And right. so it requires uh, a posture of learning that is lifelong. And so developing the internal motivation to propel you in that direction is, uh, I think, something really crucial. Um, yeah. And as one emergency physician actually really wisely uh, shared on a, on a podcast that really one of the, the most valuable or most important drivers of a person's satisfaction for in, in the work that they do is their curiosity. Um, and I really agree with that. It, it's, it's the curiosity that keeps you learning, that keeps you um, trying to improve uh, your, your clinical acumen, um, and that it, it also protects you from getting burnt out from, from the grueling days that you often have. And would you say that, you know, does that ring true for you? Has family medicine been able to provide um, the ability to be curious in your work every day? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 really cool because especially in rural family medicine, uh, you get really like daily exposure to various uh, different things that uh, you have to manage because there aren't as many resources in, in these smaller towns. And so it challenges you to, to, you know, out of the kind of desperation to provide the best care for your patients, to, uh, to learn as much as you can. Um, and then you're also exposed, like this morning, I was, I was rounding in the hospital. Um, last uh, Friday, we were working in the emergency department. Um, and then there's also, you know, there's all kinds of cases that are new and interesting diseases, especially in this area of the country for some reason, um, that uh, are challenging. And so you're always learning. Um, you know, before we started recording, we we're chatting a little bit about uh, right ventricular failure. That that's that's something I've been uh, learning a bit more about recently. Um, so there's there's lots of <laughs> lots of opportunities to exercise one's curiosity in family medicine <laughs> so now you've mentioned that you were interested by you know delivering babies and then you had that unique experience up in anuvik was it uh kind of that experience alone that really solidified rural family med for you or did you ever consider things like obscine or maybe pediatrics uh in your residency decision making process yeah i mean as you go through your different third year blocks um, you, you, many people get excited about many different blocks that they go through yeah. and I think it's it's such an exciting time of life you know you, like the whole uh, medical world is your oyster and so it's it's quite a uh, yeah I think it's really uh, there's so many opportunities open and it's worth uh, looking into each because also it's different being a, a, a clerk in in a certain field compared to actually being uh, a staff, which you will be for most of your life, you know, when you're working in the field. So it's good to try to get a sense, you know, talk to the staff, uh, try to think about what they're actually doing throughout the days to, to kind of get a better sense of what it's actually like. You know, in third year, especially uh, rotations early on, especially th uh, rotations like internal medicine, which are a bit more challenging for many um, clerks, um can can be quite uh discouraging um if uh if you're just thinking about it from the perspective of a of a of a third year medical student um uh, because it can be frustrating to you know not know how to do certain things or uh just not yeah not know much okay. yeah <laughs> interestingly i think emergency medicine ends up being quite appealing um early on for for third year uh, clerks because you get kind of an instant gratification of, of making quick diagnoses and right. and helping you know you put casts on you maybe get to intubate so it's it in, in a sense it also this it, it can be misleading uh, to just base your entire career decision on what the clerkship experience is like right um, so I think for family medicine I think like having time outside of medicine is an important uh, consideration for me. And so although many um, f family physicians end up actually working quite grueling hours, 
um, it is a field that is seemed at least to me more uh, amenable to you know arranging your schedule in a way that you can have a little bit more flexibility um, I'm sure there's other fields that have a degree of that as well too um, so that was another consideration for me I think family medicine also gives you uh, the ability to take care of you know so many different kinds of people um, you know pediatrics was is uh, I really liked pediatrics um, both inpatient and especially actually just inpatient to be honest <laughs> a lot of outpatient is uh, mental health stuff that some people really love and it's an extremely important area of um, of providing care to young people um, but uh, family medicine gives you exposure to that um, and then uh, going into a family medicine residency is quite exciting I think because there's all these different areas of added competency that you can kind of uh, develop capabilities in um, so you can tailor there's a lot of leeway in terms of tailoring your practice to certain areas that you're more interested in now before we actually talk about your specific residency program and some of those you know added competencies that you're working on um, from speaking to you earlier we wanted to talk about kind of how you ended up in Halifax and more specifically the Cape Breton Island program um, and what it was like getting off the plane for the first time in a place you had never been to before. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so I never actually did a uh, an, any electives in Halifax or in uh, Nova Scotia, um, but uh, I, it wasn't my first choice in my match uh, application, but I ended up matching there. And so uh, it's quite the journey. <laughs> it, it was exciting, but it was, it was a journey. So, uh, you know, I bought my tickets. I, uh, the, the community I am serving is called Sydney, Nova Scotia. It's spelled the same way as uh, Sydney, Australia. You can look it up. Um, it's on Cape Breton Island, which is a beautiful um, island on the very eastern edge of, of Canada. Actually, there's a trail that goes through here that some listeners may be familiar with. It's called the Cabot Trail. Some magazines sometimes rate it as one of the like top 10 uh, like uh, trails to go through in North oh, America. Wow. Um, I recommend it during the fall, which is when the, when the leaves are at their best. But um, so what, anyways, I had to land in Halifax and, and this community I live in is about four hours away. So basically, I, there's, there wasn't any, any other way of getting there. So <laughs> I, I, before I had my flight, I looked up some cars, uh, secondhand cars that I could buy that could hopefully get me to Sydney. So basically, I, my, my plane landed and then um, I had my uh, Kijiji uh, no way. <laughs> uh, ad open. And so I met up with the guy and... Uh, bought the car like I took I rented a car out of the airport and I <laughs> I went to this place I bought the car and I really hoped it would get me all the way to Sydney and uh I drove it that night all the way to Sydney and thank god it didn't uh didn't break down halfway <laughs> through <laughs> and uh, yeah and then the rest is I've been here for the last almost two years now and uh, it's been an interesting time yeah <laughs> How has that been living? Because you're from Vancouver area, right? So how's that been living so far away from home? Yeah, so there's the, the medical side of it. And then there's like the extracurricular side of it. Yeah. Um, so just just the extracurricular side of it. There's It's challenging being four time zones away from, from most of my friends and family, you know. Right. Because... Um, you guys are out in BC and it's eight thirty in the morning there. And yeah, yeah. I'm halfway through my day here, so <laughs> that is a testament to to that. Um, but uh, we have a group of like six residents in our year, and then there's a group, another group of uh, seven residents in the year below us now. Um, that uh, many of us are are good friends, and we do things together here. Um, outside of it, like it, each community, each small community has its own. Um, demographics I guess but um, you know you, you try to get involved in what you can we play 
uh, floor hockey uh, nice. once a week when uh, when the coronavirus isn't around. We uh, I I um, I was volunteering at a local fire department, which is pretty. Uh, it's a cool way to get to, to interact with the locals here and also just to see what other pre-hospital, pre I guess they wouldn't be called pre-hospital, pre, uh, or emergency providers do. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, we have a YMCA in town, so we were involved in that. And then there's also lots of hiking and, uh, and outdoor stuff that you can do here. So we try to do what we can when the weather allows. The weather out here is actually quite similar to Vancouver. Oh, yeah. um, a little less rain, but a, lot, a little more wind and snow. Um, so it has its trade-offs, but uh, yeah, it's great. And then uh, within medicine, you, you have like the the other residents that you're work, you're you're working with. You have um, you know most of the hospitals run by family medicine uh, physicians or family mm -hmm. physicians. Um, so most of the emergency department uh, and the and the hospitalist service, and uh, many of them uh, also work in um, s specialty clinics as well too, like the cancer clinic and whatnot. Right. Um, but then we also have uh, many um, uh, Royal College trained physicians, whether it's in uh, cardiology or respirology, infectious disease, critical care. Um, and a, a full surgical um, team that's in the hospital that we're exposed to as well. Yeah, it's been really great because um, we're the only, by and large, we're the only uh, residents in the hospital. So we get kind of direct learning experiences from, from all of these, um, these uh, staff. So it's been really awesome. And so were you working this morning? <laughs> <laughs> yep you were working this morning okay and so would you say today was an average day for a family medicine resident uh today was a little bit more chill actually surprisingly some days <laughs> we have like it's crazy some <laughs> some mornings when we're rounding in the hospital there was a couple of weeks where we had like 18 people that we'd have to see in the mornings and then uh and then we'd still have to try to get through the clinic in the in the evening but uh, this morning, we've gotten our list down to two inpatients, which is great. <laughs> yeah. So what does an average day look like then in your program? Yeah, good question. Our residency is, is divided into blocks. There are some residency programs that are kind of more longitudinal, um, but this one is, is divided into blocks. So currently, I'm finishing up the second year and the last uh five months of our uh, second year is family medicine and psychiatry and the psychiatry is one day a week um, so my preceptor does uh, cl clinics he does hospitalists and he does uh, emergency medicine and so he tends he's, he's kind of winding down on his emergency medicine work but he seems to be working about one one day every two weeks in the emergency department and then during the coronavirus, we've had less uh, people coming into the clinic. So we've done hospitalist service every, almost every week, every week or every other week. So basically I wake up in the mornings, uh, go and round on our patients. Um, and then I call my boss and review the cases with him. Mm -hmm. And then he gives me any feedback of, you know, maybe do this instead or this seems wise whatnot and then uh, usually we have some patients in the clinic that I see and then uh, that tends to be that day those days and then uh, we have emergency medicine shifts which in our hospital here are usually eight or nine hours each and uh, it's kind of a it's a regional hospital so we get the the traumas from the island and uh, yeah so we take care of you know spectrum of children to to end of life uh elderly and uh, high acuity and, and your average kind of more rapid assessments in right. the emergency department now so would you say that it, so it works in a block system and just to kind of clarify how that works you're you know you're, you're based in a family medicine 
uh, clinic and then it, whatever block you're in, you'll spend a little bit more focused time on that specialty. So like you're doing psychiatry now, but maybe when you started, it was like, you know, doing family medicine and then also emerge or something like that. Is that kind of how it works? And then you just like rotate your way through. Yeah. So the way each residency is a little bit different, like each residency program is a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, the way our program works, which I think is pretty similar to many others, is we have blocks. So in first year, for example, we had two weeks of cardiology, one month of surgery, one month of obstetrics, one month of gynecology. Um, we had a month of internal medicine and so on. One month of uh, emergency medicine, we had some electives. And so as we go through those, we also have one day of the week during each of those blocks that we're back in our family medicine okay. clinics. Mm. Um, but the rest of the time, it's it's similar to a clerkship. Like when you're in third year, you do clerkships yep. and it's it's similar to that, but you have the responsibilities of a resident at that point. Um, yeah. And then, uh, so currently I'm on like a longer... Bl- it's it's like a five block, uh, like timeline. Uh, so these five blocks are all family medicine with integrated psychiatry. So we have, in addition to like every day being family medicine, uh, one of those five days of the week is psychiatry. Okay. Okay. Cool. That's kind that of the sense. unique part of this, the way they've arranged it in this program, but. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So as you're kind of coming towards the end of your residency program, what would you say that you've enjoyed the most about it? And then also kind of an important question is what would you say you've enjoyed the least about it? <laughs> yeah, I think the my favorite part about it is um, how much you're able to learn in the, in the hospitals from everyone, you know, mm-hmm. like we're, if anyone is considering like rural family medicine, I think a general rule of thumb to think about one, one suggestion I have is, is to consider to realize that like a lot of what you get out of a rural family medicine training program depends on how much interest you have in what you do and how much effort you put into it. I think it applies to most programs but, uh, but rural programs tend to have a lot more, um, a lot less bureaucracy involved. And okay. so there's a lot more opportunities, but uh, they can just pass you by without you taking advantage of them. So being able to do, you know, extra ICU consults for those who are interested, like that's an interest of mine. So I was able to, to work closer with the, with the critical care um, attendings or uh, extra emergency medicine shifts. Um, and then just having more firsthand exposure to the staff to, to discuss cases with has been really great. Um, I guess the worst part about it is is being far from family. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, if I could have been uh, matched to a residence or a rural family medicine residency program that was just as good as this one closer to home, that would have been preferable, I think, for me. Right. <laughs> Now, if for people that are going to eventually go through a similar process as you, just quickly curious about what advice you might have for students that match or uh, are, have matched to programs that are in other provinces or away from home, what are some things that uh, you might want to <laughs> say to those type of people? Mm. Yeah, I think it's important to like find stuff in the community to do. Mm-hmm. Um, it's easy to kind of get, um, I don't know, get down um just feeling alone (laughs) but there's often stuff to do um there's also lots of stuff to learn you know like it's important to to take i think it's important to take full advantage of this these brief two years that you really have where you you're fully supervised um that you have access to all these um resources that you can get the most from i think maybe many listeners know that like in places like the US, a family medicine residency is three years long. And so just comparing that to the Canadian system, like you do 
need to learn a lot in the two years that, that you're, uh, you're training. And of course, you might not learn everything. And you, I mean, you won't learn everything. Um, and you have much more to, to learn on your own uh, throughout your early and ongoing career. But, um, but to maximize the opportunity that you have seems to be an important um, thing in residency. I think that's great advice. And um, I guess now transitioning to talking about um, the future, now that you're nearing the end of your family medicine program, um, what is your plan from here on out? Yeah, so I'm uh, hoping, so I'll be working here for a few months after uh, I finish. And I'll be doing, I'll be working in the emergency department here. Uh, okay. the area of my interest. Um, so like many other, um, family medicine residents, I also applied to the, uh, added competency year in emergency medicine, but I didn't get accepted into it. Um, but what's great about the, the EM, um, design, designation, um, within family medicine is that there's a couple of ways of getting to that designation. One is to do the extra R1 or R3 year, mm-hmm. um, and the other is through uh, practice over four years in, in an emergency department. And so that's second is the route that I'll be taking. Um, so yeah, I'll be working in the emergency department here for a few months, and then I'll probably be locoming across the country. Cool. So one thing we've heard a fair bit of almost a, kind of like a rumor of these uh, you know, plus one programs or added competencies in family medicine. And that's something that I know Ali and I are both fairly interested in. So could you just quickly explain how that works a little bit more um, after you finish your residency, then we know it's another year or you apply. (laughs) How does that Mm -hmm. work? There's a number of different added competency, um, competencies, I should say, uh, within the, within the Canadian family medicine um, college, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, They include Things like care of the elderly, emergency medicine, um, addiction medicine, palliative care, obstetrics. And um, all of them require added training. The emergency medicine one seems to be the most competitive one. Mm -hmm. And to apply to the emergency medicine one, it's actually a, a match just like matching into residency and it's also done through CARMS. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. So, but for the other ones, I think you apply directly to the schools uh, that you, that you want to, to do the extra training at. And then uh, once you complete the training, so you have to be accepted. And then after that, um, you, you can get the added designation on your, on your name or whatever. Mm. Um, Different added competency certifications have different durations of training that that they require. So emergency medicine um, requires an extra full year of the residency. Uh, And to to get the designation in that situation, you you have to complete the, you have to pass the exam at the end of it as well. Mm -hmm. For others, I think it's successful completion of a, of a six month or one year residency, whether it's in, you know, obstetrics or anesthesia or something else. Okay. I think that's starting to make a little bit more sense. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, you mentioned that you're going to be spending four years working kind of um, in emergency wards in order to, to, to learn these competencies. So could you maybe describe what differentiates um, kind of the scope of practice that you're going to have versus other physicians in the emergency department who either might have done the five-year emergency medicine rotation or might already have the EM designation. So how will your practices differ? Because you're also working in the emergency department. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the, like you say, there's three routes to practicing emergency medicine in Canada. One is through the Royal College Program, which is a five-year residency program that uh, uh, applicants uh, apply for in in medical school. So it's one of the residency programs you go directly into. 
mm-hmm. um, that those programs which are competitive uh, in themselves prepare you for uh, life in academic emergency medicine in particular um, and then they also prepare uh, they, they set kind of the foundations of a further fellowship in areas like critical care or toxicology those who graduate the Royal College program are free to work in any emergency department across Canada and often are the primary staff in the large tertiary uh, centers uh, which manage the most acute kind of provincial um, emergencies. And then separate from the Royal College uh, trained emergency physician is the, uh, is the emergency physician who is trained through the family medicine uh, program. And these, th- this designation allows you to work in most emergency departments across Canada. About 75% of uh, emergency physicians are trained through the family medicine uh, residency program. Um, So they serve most emergency departments across Canada. And in all these uh, emergency departments, they obviously serve patients in the same way that uh, they, they, they are required to, to serve all the patients that come into those emergency departments as well. Um, there are several large tertiary centers that are basically mostly composed, if not compl- uh, like completely composed of Royal College trained emergency physicians. So in Vancouver, I believe uh, VGH and uh, Royal Columbian, I think, are mostly, if not completely, staffed by Royal College-trained emergency physicians. Um, but most other centers are, are open to those with uh, the family medicine plus the EM designation. Those who don't have the EM designation but want to practice family medicine, so those in my uh, situation, um, can work in emergency departments in kind of small to medium-sized uh, communities. Okay. Um, so, for instance, where, where I work uh, here in Sydney, um, there are many uh, emergency physicians who, are, who have the EM designation, um, but then there are some who, are, who don't have the designation but uh, have developed enough uh, um, interest and experience in emergency med- medicine, whether through residency or the immediate uh, period afterwards to... To, to comfortably work in the emergency department there and work towards their competence, their added competency certification. So then just to clarify, so I understand right now, you know, these next four years that you're going to be spending getting more experience in the emergency department, will someone be supervising you as previously because you haven't got that designation yet? No. So is it, it's an important thing for anyone who wants to practice emergency medicine um, to think about is one is a a five-year residency program prepares you quite well um, to to comfortably look after patients Mm -hmm. Um, the added year of training also um, helps uh, increase a person's uh, confidence in in managing emergency uh, patients or patients in the emergency department but that also requires a fair bit of ongoing learning afterwards. Okay. Right. Um, now that's even more the case with those who don't have the extra year to develop more uh, confidence in managing more acute cases. Really, the 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 third year program, uh, its its greatest benefit is exposing um, trainees to higher acuity cases, uh, so that they can feel you know, greater confidence and, and develop their skills in managing some of these higher acuity cases. Yeah. Um, so the short answer to your question is no, you don't, you don't need uh, added supervision, but there is something to be said with uh, feeling enough, uh, um, having enough confidence and, and not uh, false confidence, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, right. to, to manage uh, these patients. You know, it's common for trainees to come out and I think it's called the Dunning-Kruger effect where, where you feel more confident than you are competent. 
um, and it's it's a real thing to be cautious about uh, for anyone coming out of training um, but uh, at the same time like yeah so one has to realize the 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 leap they're making and uh, be mindful of uh, potential gaps in their knowledge or areas of weakness so that they deliver uh, safe patient care um, despite the their um, you know maybe lack of exposure to certain things right. having said that it should also be uh, mentioned that like there's actually quite an amazing amazing uh, collection of resources uh online that are free and available uh to anyone uh to develop their knowledge and expertise in in various areas of uh emergency medicine so so much of it requires a a pretty independent and um, motivated and and uh curious as i was mentioning before Mm -hmm. um, drive to to learn and i think that's the thing that propels me to to kind of try to deliver the best care for patients despite not having the added uh, experience. Okay. And so do you see your future practice looking similar to the one that your preceptor has, where you have a bit of clinic, a bit of hospitalist, a bit of emergency? Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely want to have like emergency medicine as a core part of my practice. Mm-hmm. I think... Uh, hospitalist care is also something i really like just the internal medicine dimension of it and then to some extent i'll probably do some primary care i have to still figure out what that will look like right because there's certain parts of it that i don't like um and i think it's the same stuff many others don't like related to just paperwork and EMRs and all these kind of things. <laughs> I told Adam but, before uh, the interview that paperwork was going to be one of the gripes. <laughs> he did. For he sure. did call it. I have to confirm. Nice. Yeah. yeah. You you'll be prepared. Hopefully there'll be better <laughs> solutions when you guys are done. But uh, <laughs> yeah, that. So, but emergency medicine and hospitalist care are kind of the more interesting areas of family medicine for me. Interesting. Now, just to clarify uh, for someone like me that's not the most familiar, um, hospitalist is essentially like the the family medicine route to internal in a sense. So (laughs) what's the difference between like a hospitalist and an emergency room, you know, family doc? (laughs) Yeah, so hospitalist care is is taking care of patients that are in the hospital. So different hospitals have different arrangements um so our hospital the way it works is every patient that comes that's admitted to the hospital is has a primary doctor who's taking care of them and it's a hospitalist and it all the hospitalists in this hospital are uh, family medicine doctors and then to the extent required they'll be having internists or other specialists consulted um, for with with specific questions. Mm. Now, other hospitals admit patients differently. So, for instance, I remember during my uh, fourth year in uh, at UBC, which hospital is? I think it was VGH, where almost they have both a hospitalist service that's run by Family Medicine, and they have an internal medicine service or CTU service, which is run by the internists in the hospital and so the sicker patients are taken care of primarily by internists there and then the less sick patients are taken care of by hospitalists okay okay that makes sense yeah that makes sense that clears it up for me Mm -hmm. (laughs) um now something else so you were mentioning obviously the you know the paperwork that's associated with some of the uh aspects of being a family doc um now with i'll call them those like external or secondary aspects of, of a practice. So like opening a clinic, running the paperwork, hiring MOAs, all the overhead costs and stuff. That's something that we, I would say, at least for me, like I'm, I'm aware of, but not really clear on how that works. How do you find you learn those sides of practice? Like how does billing work and how does, you know, how do you, again, how do you open a clinic? Like when, when do you like sit down to learn how that works? 
Yeah, never. <laughs> <laughs> trial by fire. <laughs> Honestly, like, I think it's being more and more recognized as an area that we don't get proper training in. Okay. It's kind of a running joke sometimes among among people that, like, doctors make poor business people. Um, <laughs> and part of it is just we're not, we don't, I guess our preoccupation is something different. Right. But uh, we're also not often well prepared for it. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, so, but I think, like, my program to try to remedy it is is we're having a short series of talks on on this, which I presume will be quite helpful for us. Um, I think there's a lot of online resources that, that, again, can help with this kind of thing. Okay. Um, yeah, so it's, it's worth looking into that. So I guess, speaking of things um, that you can't prepare for, it's no surprise that we are still in a global pandemic situation. Um, how has the coronavirus impacted um, your day-to-day work and how has it impacted the hospital that you work at? Oh, yeah. It's... <laughs> <laughs> I see. <laughs> um, well, our clinic, basically, like, all our appointments, almost all of them are done by phone. So I literally go to the clinic and I sit there and talk to patients on the phone obviously you can't do a physical exam on the phone Mm -hmm. so it's all a history that you're basing it on if people are sick enough you call them into the clinic and they have to have the proper mask Uh, you have to wear a mask and then you have to do the proper um, hand hygiene Mm -hmm. the in the hospital i think each hospital has different protocols about how they screen patients um but uh, in Nova Scotia, he, or each health authority probably has a different protocol. But uh, ours screens patients for, for uh, COVID and, and swabs them as needed. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we end up just having to use a ton of personal protective equipment that thankfully we have enough of in our, oh, in that's our great. Uh, area. And then, um, and then once the results come back and they're and the suspicion is quite low then then they go off precautions and you can you can do that you can take care of them without the personal protective equipment we have to wear masks now all the time Mm -hmm. um and yeah i mean you do you definitely learn how to don and doff (laughs) personal protective equipment properly and Mm -hmm. you realize how poorly you were probably doing it before (laughs) um and the same for cleaning your hands you know like how yeah. i've been washing my hands the wrong way for the last five years <laughs> <laughs> but uh it's it's been an interesting experience um yeah thankfully in our area of of the country the number of cases is going down mm-hmm. so the level of you know fear is much lower uh than it was earlier but um it's something we keep in mind for the, you know, our, all our respiratory case differentials um, right. could be coronavirus, you know. Right. Was there ever any personal fear, you know, like when things got, started getting more serious, were you ever worried or concerned for your own health going into work? Yeah, my mom was. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I mean, I guess there, there's different personalities in, in our field, but... Uh, me being kind of more driven to the more acute side of of medicine i kind of i i found it kind of a an opportunity to 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 step forward and 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 try to help out yeah so i was looking forward to those you know those first few days when when the pandemic really kind of was most acutely uh, worried about uh to working in the emergency department where you know like it was almost completely quiet in the emergency department where patients would be too afraid to you know be exposed to anything in the hospital so they wouldn't present where um, the cases that you do have there's always that that uh, concern among the staff and you do you have to you have to take extra cautions to not uh, not um, unnecessarily uh, expose yourself or others to it because especially as you know care providers ourselves we we can become uh, transmitters of the of the virus mm-hmm, to many many right, people without knowing and mm-hmm. many people who 
you know, have impaired uh, immunity or significant chronic disease. I guess bringing things full circle, um, now that you've had so many different experiences from Inuvik to, you know, moving to somewhere you had never been before and now also being trained during a global pandemic, are there any, you know, last pieces of advice you would have for medical students that are trying to figure out what specialty they want to pursue for residency? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the most important parts of it is finding something that you're like that you can do every day for 40, 50 years or however long you'll be doing it and and think about what the staff do in that job. And I think your own curiosity, like I mentioned earlier, your own internal motivation to continue to learn, to, to be interested in, in the thing that you're doing is more important than than many many of the other considerations, financial or otherwise, that often end up um, often subconsciously like playing a role in people's decisions, I think. Um, yeah, and I think being honest with yourself and with others is a really useful um, part of both both you know success in medicine and and uh, your interviews also. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's uh, I think yeah, being honest, being curious, and uh, that'll help you find something that that will be fulfilling for you. I think that's great advice. Yeah. Um, and it's been great to hear about all your different experiences. Um, and I hope that our listeners will get a better sense of, you know, what it's like to, one, move to a different province for residency, because that might be a reality for many students. Mm-hmm. Um, two, what it's like to actually, you know, complete a rural family medicine residency and the benefits of that versus one in an urban center. Um but that does bring us to the end of our episode, and yeah. we want to make sure that you're still able to uh, enjoy the rest of your Friday and the rest of your weekend because it is almost that time in, in Nova Scotia. So thank you again <laughs> for joining us on the show, and uh, all the best for the rest of your training. Yeah, thanks so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. all of our listeners thanks for listening uh for more episodes of our podcast you can find them on spotify apple podcasts or wherever you might get your podcasts and as usual uh, on behalf of the entire metamorphosis team we hope you're staying happy healthy and safe and uh, we hope you'll join us next time and remember to wash your hands yeah do that too